Good morning and welcome to our divine service this blessed Sabbath morning. Um, I was just noticing we don't have a computer here anymore. Are we not on Zoom for, or we're live? Okay, okay. Welcome, each and every one of you, whether you are here physically or virtually. We welcome you to the Williams Lake Seventh-day Adventist Church service. Um, we invite everybody to come on in and join us, and we have a couple of announcements. The first one I will let um, Grant share with you. Good morning. Beautiful Sabbath day today, and finally you folks got here. I've been asking Grandma, well, when are they coming? <laughs> anyway, we're glad you're here. I just want to announce that tomorrow is the Men's Ministries Fishing Derby out at Quisson Lake. I'm going to have some directions here at the back, so when you leave the service this afternoon or later this morning, if you're able to come, we would love to have everybody come. Bring your children, bring your wives, and just come and enjoy the fellowship together. Thank you. Yeah, I think it will be a blessed time for those that are able to attend that social tomorrow. And I just want to draw your attention. You were given a piece of paper, and it is for the October 4th Regional Women's Ministries Breakfast, inviting all women to come and fellowship together for that morning. And breakfast will be provided by our men. So if for nothing else, come on out and enjoy breakfast by the men's ministry on October the 4th at 10 a.m. Also, for this week, the families that we are encouraged to pray for is Brad and Lisa Morgan and family and Norman Barb Semigrad. So if we could remember to keep them in prayer. And I don't believe there are any other announcements unless someone has one. For Kindry? Yeah. Okay. Let's remember Chelsea's family in prayer as well this week. We need to remember each other, lift each other up continually in prayer. I will, if there's no further announcements, then. Our call to worship this morning, I chose a scripture in Matthew, words of Jesus, Matthew 11:28 to 30, come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Shall we bow for prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father, we humbly come to you on this Sabbath morning 
with praise and gratitude and thanksgiving. We invite your presence to be with us as we enter this divine service, Lord. We thank you for Jesus and everything that he has done for us. We ask all these things through Jesus' name. Amen. Our opening hymn is 153. It's entitled, Prince of Peace, Control My Will. I'm not sure if we'll have the words up here. And this morning, we are going to be blessed with uh, special music brought to us by Kenneth. Trust and obey. Not a doubt nor a fear 
just noticed uh, a young man that we haven't seen for quite a while and when he left us he was single and uh, now that he's back with us Taylor is a married man and uh, we're happy to see you today and welcome you back for a short while I'm sure only <laughs> um, and I also wanted to to encourage, as the pastor has encouraged us each week that he's here, that if you're going to use your cell phone in church, now is the time to do it. Pull it out, open up Facebook, go live here to our church service, hit like, and share it. He has shared with us that last week, I believe, he had over 700 views on, um, on our live stream so yeah amen from brazil and um we had friends from langley that had contacted us and so if uh this is one time you are permitted to use your cell phone in church just briefly <laughs> um our offering today is for reach bc and Yukon. Catherine Eden, a distinguished professor of sociology at John Hopkins University, and Luke Schaefer, an associate professor at the University of Michigan School of Social Work, co-wrote the mesmerizing book, Two Dollar a Day, Living on Almost Nothing in America. 
The book chronicles the journey of nearly 1.5 million households in America in extreme poverty. Nearly 3 million children are part of this demographic. Imagine extreme measures such as selling your plasma for $30 to feed a family of four. These are just unconscientable circumstances in which Christian empathy and help can mean hope and a better life. In Toxic Inequality, Thomas Shaparo notes that more and more Americans, especially parents with young children, are left behind in the economic cycle. Such statistical realities can be opportunities for our Seventh-day Adventist Church to provide a life-saving service to the most vulnerable people of our society. Many local conferences do exactly that. They operate learning development centers and schools for the local communities. Others aid refugees coming to our country for a better life. Whatever the need, we are called to help. Thank you for being generous. Thank you for empathizing with those who struggle and for whom our Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross. And again, I want to invite you to, at the end of the service, there's a box on the back there by the camera. Um, if you could drop your tithes and your offerings in the box there. And for those of you that wish to, um, that choose to give online, just go to the Williams Lakes Seventh-day Adventist Church website and under donate, you'll find uh, an easy way there to donate as well. At this time, I would invite the congregation, if at all possible, to kneel as we seek the Lord in prayer. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we humbly bow before you on this Sabbath morning. Lord, we claim the promise that where two or three are gathered in your name, you will be amongst us. Father, we invite your spirit into our service today. We invite your angels to fill the empty pews. We invite your presence. We would invite your Holy Spirit to be poured upon Brother Adam as he's to share the word from you, Lord. May you anoint his words, may you bless him, and may you bless each listener. Father, we all have many, many prayer requests <laughs> and praises, Lord. You continue to bless each one. Father, we want to continue to uplift Roseanne to you day by day, week by week, Lord. Continue to be the healing physician. And may your will be done in her life. Be with Roseanne, Warren, and their family. Draw close to them, even at this time. Lord, you know those that are ill, those that are discouraged, those that are weak, 
And we pray that at this time as well you would draw very close to them with a special blessing. Father, we ask that you would accept our feeble efforts as we continue to make friends for you. Help each one of us to witness for you. And most of all, Lord, we want to thank you for Jesus, for the sacrifice that he has made for each one of us, as undeserving as we are. We praise you and thank you and look forward to your soon coming. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Our scripture reading is found in the book of Matthew, chapter 12, 38, and 39. I'll just give you a moment to look it up if you can. Matthew 12, 38, and 39. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. We invite Brother Adam to the pulpit now as he shares his sermon on miracles with us. Good morning. Uh, can everyone hear me? Yes. Okay. Uh, before I begin, I'm going to say a quick little word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you in prayer uh, this morning, asking that you would please come into this place and guide our thoughts and uh, guide the meditations of our heart. We pray that you'll come into every home that is watching this sermon and guide us all. In your name we pray, amen. Can you hear me now? Is it on yet? There. All right. Is it on? There. Should I just use this mic here, or? Does this work? Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, a few weeks ago, someone told me, sometimes I wish that I had been born in Bible times 
so that I could live in an age of miracles. I wish that I could have seen the stories of the Bible in person. I can see where he is coming from. I'm not saying that I don't believe, but if I had the opportunity to see two large walls of water at the Red Sea crossing, I don't know how I'd ever not believe. When I was young, I wanted to see an angel. I had books on angel stories I had bought from the Adventist Book Center, and I had read them all. I thought, if I could just see an angel, then I would never have any doubts about God ever again. I prayed to see an angel. When I was a student at Walla Walla University, I once went on a uh, solo uh, camping trip. I hiked over 33 kilometers over the Washington-Oregon border into the Umatilla National Forest, and I climbed an isolated mountain road because I wanted to have an experience with God. I wanted to see an angel. I did not end up seeing an angel, but I did have an experience with God. Perhaps you can relate to my younger self. We live in a world where we are taught by science to trust only what we can see with our eyes, only that which can be measured and tested. Um, perhaps you can relate to, uh, perhaps science would relate well to the Apostle Thomas, who demanded that he be able to put his thumb into Jesus' hands and side before he would believe that Jesus was risen. Whenever we hear about a supernatural story, we tend to disbelieve it because it goes against the rules of this world. It seems too incredible to be true. And while there are those of us who are more spiritually inclined, uh, who may understand that there is more to this world than meets the eye, it would still be nice if there was some form of tangible proof for our faith, something we could hold on to when the times got tough or when we wanted to win an argument with an unbelieving friend about God. We might say, if only we had a sign or a miracle, then I would never doubt God again. We might even be jealous of the people who lived in Bible times, who apparently lived in an age of miracles. It would seem unfortunate that the age of miracles ended with the death of the apostles. Which brings us to our scripture reading today. I'll read it again. It's found in Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 to 39, and I'll be reading out of the New King James Version. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. You know what I find interesting about that text? These scribes and Pharisees are living in the time of Jesus. In that very same chapter, the Pharisees were upset because Jesus had healed a man from his withered hand on the Sabbath. A few chapters earlier, Jesus healed two blind men and a mute man. He healed a paralytic man who had uh, uh, come down through the roof. Demons were cast into a flock of swine. A leper was healed and sent to the priest. A centurion's servant was healed. What more were they looking for? They already had all of the signs that they needed. And yet, they still wanted a sign. As if all of that that had taken place already was not enough for them. 
There is another story just like that during the Exodus. Through Moses, God sent the ten plagues upon the Egyptians, after which he parted the Red Sea. He caused manna to fall on the Israelites' camp six days a week, but never on the seventh. He spoke from Mount Sinai. Moses, uh, through God, caused water to flow from rocks. For about a year or two, every Israelite was exposed to miracle upon miracle, sign upon sign, that God is very real. Yet what happened next? The Israelites rebelled before entering Canaan. Korah and Dathan rebelled against Moses and were swallowed up by the earth. And the Israelites spent the next 40 years wandering through the wilderness because they did not believe. How much evidence did the Israelites need before they would be willing to believe? Psalm 78 describes the unbelief of the Israelites after the Exodus. The entire psalm is a description of how God helped the children of Israel with fantastic miracles, and yet the children of Israel did not believe. In Psalm chapter 76, verse 32, it says, In spite of this, they sinned and did not believe in his wondrous works. In verses 34 through 37, it says, When God slew them, then they sought him, and they returned and sought earnestly for God. Then they remembered that God was their rock and the Most High God their Redeemer. Nevertheless, they flattered him with their mouth, and they lied to him with their tongue, for their heart was not steadfast with him, nor were they faithful in his covenant. I could see this from God's perspective. He had just performed miracle after miracle in their sight. He just caused manna to rain down from heaven, and still the children of Israel do not believe. So God chooses the fear approach, and the people return to God out of fear, but not really. They're just willing to say or do anything to get out of the suffering consequences for their actions. In a way, they're just like a little child who won't do the right thing unless they're scared into being good. But then they only do the right thing half-heartedly as a way of avoiding consequences rather than a change within their hearts. Jesus addressed the disbelief in his, miracle, uh, uh, in his miracles in Matthew chapter 12, verse 23. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. And again in verse 41 and 42 of that same chapter. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn them, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. In other words, we would expect that miracles should produce faith. However, in Moses' day, miracles did not produce faith. In Jesus' day, miracles did not produce faith. And we, like the people of Nineveh and the Queen of 
Through miraculous circumstances, that doctor was forced to leave their shift a few hours early, and a doctor on call came in who did the tests over again and found the blood clot and had the girl rush to the nearest large hospital where they were able to save her life. Let me tell you another story. There was a teacher who had a student in elementary, and when the teacher went at the beginning of the year to write down all of the children's prayer requests on the board, this girl asked for a horse. The teacher said uh, to herself, there is no way that God is ever going to give this girl a horse. Her family is too poor, and she would have no way of taking care of it. It, will, it can't happen. And so time after time, the teacher tried to sneakily remove the horse prayer request from the board, and every time the girl caught her and asked her to put it back up. At the end of the year, her father was able to find a horse for her, and she got her horse. Let me tell you another story. Once upon a time, there was a five-year-old boy who had pneumonia and was in the process of dying. A faithful Christian saw him and prayed for him, and the very next moment, he felt better and asked for a banana. Here's another story. Once upon a time, there was a boy who had severe allergies. His anaphylaxis was so severe that whenever it struck, his parents had 10 minutes to get to the hospital or else the boy would die. The anaphylaxis struck frequently, and as such, his parents were forced to live close to major hospitals because they never knew when the next attack would take place. One day, a leader in the nearby church performed an anointing service on the boy, praying for healing. To this day, the boy has never experienced another attack of anaphylaxis. One more story. Once upon a time, there was a family traveling through a dangerous part of the world. A government coup had just taken place, and the nation was in chaos. This young Christian family got in their car and headed for the nearest international border to safety. But on their way there, they were accosted by a group of rebels who began to attack their car, intending to kill the entire family. The father prayed, putting the family's life in God's hands, and instantly, the weather changed from a bright sunny day to a violent storm. The rebels fled in fear, and the family made it to safety. Now, you might be tempted to say, these stories don't happen here in North America because we're self-sufficient over here and rich. We don't need God in the same way that they need overseas. I didn't read these stories in a mission magazine. Every story I just told you is the personal testimony of a Seventh-day Adventist who lives in Williams Lake. In this very congregation are stories of people who nearly died and were saved miraculously, people who prayed and were saved from addiction or other bad situations, people who have experienced miraculous healing. With all of these signs, you might say that we are living in a time just as miraculous as the time of Jesus. Why then does it not feel like a miraculous time? This summer, I moved, and in the process of moving, I rediscovered my stash of old Cole Porter stories. I spent two summers when I was 17 and 18 years old selling religious books door to door across the province of Ontario. As I read through my journal, I read about people who wanted books and didn't have the money 
and I felt impressed to leave the book with them. And a few houses later, someone paid me enough to cover the book that I had given away for free. I've read stories about feeling impressed to stay out later than usual one night, only to run into someone who was very much in need of prayer. I read one story where I was questioning whether or not to approach a house with a vicious dog, and I prayed that if God wanted me to go, he would make the dog stop barking in exactly five seconds. And then I counted five seconds out loud. One one thousand, two one thousand. And as I spoke the last syllable, the dog stopped barking. What I find interesting about these stories is not that they happened. It's that I forgot that they happened. Why are miracles so easy to forget? Let's return to our angel. Suppose that, for a moment, that an angel appeared right here at the front of this church, right now. At first, all of us would be in awe and amazement. Perhaps we would all praise God. Perhaps some of us would do like the Bible characters did and fall on our knees and the angel would have to tell us to get up and fear not. But a few days later, what would we think? Would we think, did that really happen? Did Adam trick the congregation? Was that really an angel or did we all get confused? Surely there's a natural explanation for what just happened. Our brains love to rationalize. We like to make sure that all of our experiences fit in with our beliefs about reality. And whilst we are spiritual people, angels don't really fit in with what our lived reality is. We don't expect to see angels as part of our daily lives, or even ever at any point in our life. We believe in God, but we also believe in a devil who sows seeds of doubt in our brains. And when a miracle occurs, Satan shows up and begins to inject doubt. Was that really a miracle, or did you just get lucky? Isn't it presumptuous to attribute to God what could better be explained by chance? Maybe you thought it was a miracle because you weren't paying attention enough. Maybe the storm clouds blew in and you, didn't just, you just didn't see it. Or maybe you didn't see that driver turn and save you. Or maybe you didn't know what time it really was and you thought it was a different time. And there it is. Just like that, Satan has swooped in and with his doubts, he has snatched your miracle away. Just like Jesus described about the seed that fell and was snatched by the birds. It's for that reason that miracle stories don't often work when told by a third party. Who here read the mission story in this week's Adult Sabbath School Quarterly? It was a story about the woman who was pregnant for two years. Let me guess how you responded. There is no way that actually happened. She must have been confused or something. What I find interesting about that story isn't whether or not a miracle occurred. What I find interesting about that story is everyone's natural inclination to disbelieve it immediately upon hearing it. Why do we, as church members, immediately want to dismiss that mission story, even though we believe that there is a spiritual battle going on here on this planet with supernatural occurrences? 
There is one miracle story in the Bible that produced immediate faith when it was told to others. It's the story of Pentecost. We read that on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were baptized. Why? Because the disciples were telling their personal testimony. The disciples told the crowd of what they experienced with Jesus. In Acts 4, verse 13, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. That's it right there. They had been with Jesus. You know how you can listen to a person speak and guess whether they're telling the truth or not? Or whether they're lying to you? When you tell your personal testimony, your personal experience of how God saved you with boldness and not with the hesitation or apologies that so often accompanies our words when we talk about our Savior, people notice something different about you. Maybe that is why Satan makes it so difficult for us to open ourselves up on such a personal level like that and tell the stories that mean so much to us. Maybe that is why Satan spends so much time trying to tempt church members to gossip about each other and to backstab each other and hurt each other because when he does, we lose our trust in each other and our boldness is turned to hesitation. Maybe we don't listen to each other or trust each other or need each other because we think that we have everything that we need. And like the church in Laodicea, we say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And do not know that we are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, and deeply in need of a fellow church member to feed us, give us drink, and clothe us just as Jesus commanded each of us to do. So my challenge for you today is threefold. One, do not forget how God has led you in the past and hold on to the faith you had when you first knew Christ. Do not let Satan blow your candle of faith out. Two, Tell others about how Jesus saved you. Tell your testimony to the world with boldness so that everyone will know that you were with Jesus. And do not fear the doubts or the unpopularity that the world may throw at you. And three, support your fellow church members who do share their testimony. We may not all be in agreement in personality, and we may even debate each other during Sabbath school, but we can still respect how God has worked in each of our lives, and we can still support each other and fulfill the verse that says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. John 13, verse 35. Now, to finish the story. As I walked up that lonely mountain road, I had hopes that I would see an angel. I pitched camp for the night, but my shelter had a hole in it, and it let the rain in, soaking me to the bone. And then the cold set in. Eventually, I made the decision that I needed to come down from the mountain for the night to find warmth, 
and so I emerged from the shelter, only to discover that not only was there no angel for me to see, I could see nothing at all. As far as I could see, there was no stars in the sky, there was no road below my feet, and there were no hands in front of my face. In the midst of the deepest pitch black I have ever encountered, in cold pouring rain, I had to navigate back down the mountain road, completely blind, knowing that there was the danger of a steep hundred-foot drop-off on my left and sharp rocks on my right, and the knowledge that the road made a 90-degree turn at one point up the mountain. I went up the mountain full of faith, but I came down the mountain full of fear, with images of myself walking off the edge of the road and falling to my death. When the time came to make that turn, I didn't see much, but I saw it. It was about as bright as those faint stars that you think you can see but you're not quite sure about when you're looking up at the night sky when you're away from the city lights deep in the country somewhere. But I saw a brief glimmer reflecting off of a puddle in the road, which alerted me to the turn I needed to make, and I made it safely down the mountain. That night, I began my journey of learning to walk by faith and not by sight. You see, even when my faith ran out, God was still watching out for me. I know because I lived it. This is my story. And I know that God is watching out for you too. Are you willing to build a faith like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they said, and I'll paraphrase here, we know that our God can save us, but even if he chooses not to, we will still trust him. Now, more than ever, God needs people with that kind of faith to go out and finish the work of spreading his gospel to the whole world. Are you willing to share your story? Amen. I am a firm believer in miracles. We serve an awesome God, and I think if each one of us gathered in groups together and shared our stories, we would appreciate miracles because we all, we're all a miracle. Our closing hymn is 510, If You But Trust in God to Guide You. And I'm wondering, Merle, do you know this song? Does anybody know this song that would be willing to come up and lead out? Because I am totally unfamiliar with it. Okay, Rita's going to play, play a verse through.
before we close in prayer, if you have a memory like mine, I always seem to forget the offering box at the back, and I always have good intentions and walk out the door and realize I forgot to drop my offering in. So just a reminder. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, again we approach your throne and we thank you. We thank you for the message that we've heard. We thank you for the miracles, Lord. Each day, each one of us is a miracle. Father, we ask now that as we depart and go to our homes that you would bless each one, bless all the viewers as well. And Father, bring us back together again and help us to reach out to every person we come in contact with. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.